Sidney Lassels was one of the most accomplished swindlers and bigamists of the 19th century. So accomplished that when he died in Asheville, North Carolina in 1902, it took years to track down someone who knew his real identity. The search for answers continued because undertakers had embalmed Sidney's body, believing him to be the wealthy Lord Beresford. They assumed his family would claim his body for burial when news of his death reached them in England. But telegrams sent to England went unanswered, and Sidney Lassell's embalmed and eventually mummified body stood erect in the back room of a funeral home for almost seven years until a mysterious woman arrived to claim him for burial. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. And this is the mystery of Sidney Lassell's The Remarkable Rascal. Sidney Lassells was born to wealthy parents in Australia in 1857. Financial missteps led to his father losing the family fortune. He was forced to take his family back to his roots in England. Sidney's father took a job as a gamekeeper on the estate of the Duke of Devonshire, one of the wealthiest British aristocratic families since the 16th century. His fox hunting skills impressed the Duke's guest and endeared him to the men of high society who visited the estate. His good looks endeared him to just about any woman he met. He was dashing, tall, dark, and handsome. And the more he learned from the men of the upper class, the more irresistible he became. He learned to imitate their speech and mannerisms. But as Sidney's dad once noted, there was a bad streak in his son. He took what he learned along with those good looks and began to use it to manipulate people. When he was 21 years old, Sidney Lassells broke into a strong box in the Duke's home and stole a large amount of money. He fled to Algiers on the Mediterranean coast where he was known as Lord Charles Beresford, Lord of Marcus, Lord Walter Beresford, Sir Harry Van, Lord Courtney, and several other names of ranking Englishmen. He had enough money to pull off his con for a while, living the good life, but when the authorities tracked him down and threatened to arrest him, he agreed to return the remaining money and was spared prosecution. Sidney would eventually return to England before making his way back to Australia. Soon after he returned to the land of his birth, he introduced himself to an American ambassador as Lord Charles Beresford. The ambassador was so impressed by Beresford's wit and charm, he agreed to make letters of introduction to a few notable American families. Sidney set sail for America in 1886 as Lord Beresford. Sidney pulled off small cons in San Francisco, Utah, and New York during his first year in America. He usually found a rich mark and used his English charms to talk business and banking. He'd explain how different banking was in England compared to America. He'd then pull out his checkbook from an English bank and ask if the rich person he was conning could advance him some cash. The mark would agree, pull money from a safe, and accept the check from the person they believed to be a lord from England. 
By the time they learned they had been duped, Sidney Lassell's was long gone. His biggest con, and the one he would commit to for the rest of his life, was using his charm and those dashing good looks and irresistible British accent to woo rich American women. When there was a little heat on Sydney, he decided to take a break from America for a while and set sail for Europe in 1889. By 1890, he showed up again in Algiers. There he met Philadelphia tobacco heiress and widow Susanna Lilienthal and her 22-year-old daughter, Maude. At first, Sidney, who claimed to be wealthy Englishman Walter Eaton, charmed both of the women. But the more time Mrs. Lilienthal spent with this Walter Eaton, the more she observed him with her daughter, the more suspicious she became. She couldn't help but think this man was attracted to the family money. Within a week of meeting Eden, Mrs. Lilienthal decided it was time she and Maude headed home to America. They arrived in New York, and soon after, they learned that Walter Eaton had followed them there to declare his love for Maude. Mrs. Lilienthal once again fled with Maude, hoping to keep her daughter away from this man who seemed to sweep her off her feet with his declarations of love. Mrs. Lilienthal and Maude went home to Pennsylvania with the elder Lilienthal begging her daughter to resist any attempt on the part of Walter Eaton to connect with her again. She warned her daughter he was up to no good and she just had a bad feeling about him. But Maude's desire for Walter was more powerful than her mother's warning. She couldn't resist him when he came calling in February of 1891 and convinced her to elope. Mrs. Lienthal was mortified when she learned of the elopement. She returned to New York and sent word to Maude she had to come home or she would lose her inheritance. Maude did go home, but she brought her husband Walter with her. They said they wanted reconciliation and to live in peace. But Mrs. Lilienthal made it clear, Maude had a choice, her future wealth and security, or a life with a man Mrs. Lilienthal viewed as a scoundrel. Walter then proved who he really was when he threatened Mrs. Lilienthal, telling her that if she didn't give him $2,500, he would go to the press, tell the story, include some lies, and ruin the family name. Maude chose Walter, and the two sailed for the West Indies. When they returned home to New York in September 1891, authorities were waiting to arrest Walter Eaton on charges of forgery and swindling in Rome, Georgia. Police informed his wife that the man she married was Sidney Lassels. They told her he was a con man operating under several aliases, but Maude refused to believe she could have married a criminal. Walter Eaton confessed his name was Sidney Lassels, but continued to stand by his story that he was innocent of swindling and everything she had been told by the police was a lie. Which is why when Sidney Lassels was taken to Rome, Georgia to face his crimes, Maude followed him and stood by him. The charges against Sidney Lassels stemmed from a con in Georgia, 
18 months before he married Maud. He had traveled to Rome as Lord Beresford, the third son of an English lord who was looking to invest millions of dollars in mines across the South. Lord Beresford took meetings with representatives from Hamilton and Company, who were serving as selling agents for a mining company that was looking to sell 10,000 acres. As talks continued, Lord Beresford spent weeks in Rome, getting to know wealthy families and enjoying high society parties. People were always caught off guard by Sidney's charm and his good looks, and of course, the money he claimed to have, which allowed him to gain the trust he needed to pull off the con. When meeting with one of the representatives from Hamilton and Company, Sidney mentioned he was low on cash and asked if he could write a check to the company in exchange for cash. The $2,250 check was handed over to a representative who quickly opened the company safe and gave him cash. The next day, no one could find Lord Beresford, and within days, Hamilton and Company realized they had been swindled and took the matter to the police. Sidney Lassels had swindled a few other people out of money while he was in Georgia, which is why on September 28, 1891, when Sidney was returned to Rome, a crowd gathered at the train depot. The crowd cheered as police led Sidney from the train to a police carriage for his ride to jail. Maude Lilienthal stood by her husband as he was in jail, awaiting trial. While the press printed stories detailing Sidney's life of crime, Maude refused to believe any of it. She visited him in jail every day, vowing her love and devotion to the man she married. And that man was convicted on charges of forgery and swindling and sentenced to six years hard labor at a state prison. Sidney's defense team appealed the verdict and Maude paid Sidney's $5,000 bond he was granted while awaiting the decision on appeal. Sidney Lassels was not the type of man who could stay in one place for a long time, which is why one morning, Maude woke up to find she had been deserted by Sidney. He was on the run, and she was the one who had paid his bond. In her shame and desperation, she reached out to her mother, who said Maude was more than welcome to return home. Maude left Georgia and returned to New York. Within months, Sidney was also discovered in New York, where he was arrested and once again returned to Rome, where his appeal failed in 1892, and he began serving his sentence of six years, hard labor, in prison. Sidney Lassels stayed very busy in prison. In 1893, he wrote and published his autobiography called From Wealth and Happiness to Misery and the Penitentiary by Walter S. Beresford. And Sidney Lassels tried to blackmail prominent families from his prison cell. He wrote letters to two wealthy families in New York, threatening them that he would publish scandalous accounts of their daughter's sexual exploits. He warned that if the families didn't send him $2,500, the accounts would be published in newspapers in Chicago, New York, and Philadelphia. But Sidney's words just didn't hold the power they once had. The families knew everything he mentioned were lies, and they knew no one would believe a man 
who was wearing a convict suit in a Georgia prison. Money was never sent to him, and no scandalous accounts were ever published. While in prison, Sydney received divorce papers from Maude, who had finally acknowledged her husband was not the man she hoped he would be. But it seems she still loved him. She continued to fight for a pardon for Sydney, wielded her family's influence to gain the attention of the Georgia governor, who eventually agreed to pardon Sydney in late 1896. Once free, Sidney Lassels moved to Fitzgerald, Georgia, where he opened an insurance brokerage, and he did well. He made friends, was welcomed into the homes of the rich upper class. They knew about his past and his stay in prison, but people seemed more than willing to give this fascinating Englishman a second chance. There was one man in town who did not like Sidney, Alexander Pelkey. Pelkey was the wealthiest man in Fitzgerald, having inherited his wife's fortune when the Rhode Island heiress died years earlier. Pelkey's 19-year-old daughter, Clara, was taken in by Sidney's charms from the moment he arrived in town. But Alexander Pelkey saw in Sidney what Susanna Lilienthal had seen in him years before, a man who only had eyes for money which is why Alexander Pelkey was enraged when his daughter disgraced the family and married Sidney Lassels in May of 1897. They went on a honeymoon, and when they returned weeks later, Sidney was not welcomed into the Pelkey home because Alexander Pelkey learned he had defrauded several businessmen in Fitzgerald since he moved to town, had used the Pelkey name to do this. By July of 1897, Sidney fled the city when he learned warrants were being issued for his arrest. Clara was by his side when he left town and headed for Savannah, Georgia. Alexander Pelkey was left overwhelmed by legal and financial troubles caused by Sidney Lassels. He did make sure, no matter what happened to him, Sidney Lassels would not be able to inherit his daughter's money. When Mrs. Pelkey had passed, her will instructed that her husband was to inherit a portion of her estate, and when Clara came of age at the age of 21, she wished her daughter to receive a portion of the estate as well. In November 1897, Alexander added a clause to the will after Clara married Sidney, ensuring the bulk of the estate would be inherited by his brother in Rhode Island. The new will detailed an exception to the arrangement. Pelkey noted that if Clara left the rascal she had married and returned to the family home, she would be cared for for the remainder of her life. But if she stayed with Sydney, she would never see her inheritance. By December of 1897, Alexander Pelkey had not heard from his daughter in months. Her choice to go on the run with Sydney had devastated Alexander, and many believe it drove him to his grave. That month, Alexander Pelkey died on Main Street in Fitzgerald, Georgia. The coroner said it was a heart attack, but most folks in town believed Pelkey's heart had just been broken into. 
Clara would read of her father's death in a newspaper while she was on the run with Sydney. The two had worked their way through Georgia, Massachusetts, and New York, with Sydney swindling more families out of money. They were eventually traced to Mexico. There, the couple read the news of the death of Clara's father, and Sydney read the news about that clause in Alexander Pelkey's will that would prevent Clara from inheriting the family fortune. Clara was no longer of use to Sydney, and he deserted her. Sydney Lassels remained in Mexico for a while, using the name Turnbull as he cheated and conned Americans vacationing there. Little was heard of him until March of 1901. That month, a New Haven, Connecticut newspaper featured an article about an Alfred Parsons who had been arrested for attempting to blackmail the president of Yale University, along with attempts to pass forged checks. Police learned Alfred Parsons had posed as Lord Rose of Burr Castle, Ireland, but was really Sidney Lassell's. He spent a few months in jail, but was once again arrested in January 1902. Boston police had learned Sidney was in the city and knew there was a warrant out for his arrest on charges of larceny in Hot Springs, Arkansas. He had run up a $1,200 bill while posing as Lord Beresford and staying at the posh Arlington Hotel. Sidney was convicted, served a few months in jail, and headed back to his favorite part of America, the South. Sydney loved this part of America and loved the women. Many of the 24 women he was said to have met, swindled, married, and deserted were from the American South. All of them taken in by the dashing, rich English nobleman who seemed like a dream come true. Their Prince Charming. By the time they realized their fairy tale was a nightmare and they had been robbed of family money, Sydney was on to the next city and the next con. By the fall of 1902, the energy Sidney Lassells needed to stay on the run seemed to be failing him. At 45, he was constantly on the run, in between his cons and serving prison and jail time in three continents. Sidney was tired and ill. He was constantly coughing, felt weak, and had started to lose weight. This tall, handsome, and well-built man was looking pale, thin, and exhausted, which is why he headed to Asheville, North Carolina. Since the late 18th century, Asheville has been known as a place you go to heal. In the early 20th century, the city was known as a healing retreat, especially for those who were suffering from tuberculosis. As Chris Morton wrote in his book, North Carolina Legends and Myths, Sydney arrived in Asheville as a man of mystery. He checked in to an exclusive boarding house on Montford Avenue and registered as a Mr. Charles Asquith. Accounts of Sydney's time in Asheville are hazy, which is true of so much of the life of Sydney Lassells. Some say he presented himself as an English nobleman, while others say the rumor mill about town helped fuel that story. We know so little of his time there, 
because Sidney Lassels died in November of 1902, just a few weeks after he arrived in Asheville. When undertakers from Noland Brown Funeral Home cared for Sidney's body to prepare him for burial, they believed what they had heard, that he was a wealthy man named Charles Asquith, which is why they embalmed the gentleman and then sent telegrams in search of his family in England. Nolan Brown then waited for someone to claim the body for burial. They never imagined they would be waiting years to learn who this man really was. The embalmed body of Sidney Lassels remained in a case in the back room of the funeral home for almost eight years. Occasionally, the body would be displayed in the front window of Nolan Brown to promote the quality of the work of the undertakers inside. Time passed and the mummified corpse took on a life of its own in Asheville, with locals joking that the Duke of Asheville was staying at the funeral home. Freak shows offered to pay thousands for the body to be displayed, but the funeral home declined. Asheville would have a new mystery on their hands in May 1910 when Washington, D.C. newspapers printed an article noting that the body of Lord Beresford had been cremated a week earlier, but no one had claimed the ashes. The undertaker was asked about the decision and when the body had been transported from Asheville to Washington, but no details were offered. The undertaker said, he simply followed orders and did not know who had ordered the cremation. Mystery turned to shock when papers printed news a few days later that within days of the cremation, the ashes of the man known as the Duke of Asheville had been thrown into the Potomac River by a man named Marcus Mark from Asheville who said he was visiting a friend in Washington, D.C. People from D.C. to Asheville were asking who this man was and why he threw the ashes of an unknown man into the river. It would take a year, but the story of the strange end of Sidney Lassels was revealed in a newspaper article printed in 1911. That article made it known that the man thrown into the Potomac the man that had been known as the Duke of Asheville had been this remarkable rascal named Sidney Lassels. In early May 1910, a woman entered the Nolan Brown Funeral Home in Asheville and introduced herself as Mrs. Summerfield from New York. She said she was the sister-in-law of Sidney Lassell's first wife, Maud Lilienthal, who had been searching for him for years. When the family read an article in the paper noting the mummified corpse of a man claiming to be an English nobleman was in the funeral home in Asheville, they were certain it was Sidney. Mrs. Summerfield paid all of the expenses related to Sidney's final care and his storage. She then signed an affidavit detailing her story. Sidney's body was released for transport from Asheville to Washington, D.C., where days later, he was cremated. And that man, Marcus Mark, who was seen throwing Sidney's ashes in the Potomac, well, it turns out he had been hired as Mrs. Summerfield's assistant 
when she was in Asheville. He traveled with her to help her make arrangements for Sydney's send-off. Following that send-off, with the ashes thrown into the Potomac, Mrs. Summerfield returned to New York, and Marcus Mark returned to Asheville. But there was this lingering question surrounding the mystery of Sidney Lassell's burial. Who was the woman who claimed his body? Reporters had learned that the woman who entered the Asheville funeral home and claimed to be Mrs. Summerfield had registered at an Asheville hotel as a Mrs. Thomas. The undertakers in Washington, D.C. knew her as Mrs. Thomas. She was this mysterious figure in black whose name reflected no connection to the Lilienthal family or his first wife. The answer to that question came months later when Marcus Mark was diagnosed with tuberculosis. He was nursed by friends who cared for him in his final days. Those days when a dying man feels the need to alleviate the weight of any secrets. Mark told friends when he took that box of cremated remains and threw it into the Potomac, he had done it for an old friend from his days in New York. That old friend who had represented herself as Mrs. Summerfield and Mrs. Thomas was Maud Lilienthal, formerly Maud Lassels, Sydney's first wife. She had divorced him, but her bond and love for the remarkable rascal, Sidney Lassels, had never wavered. Even in death, the sensational swindler was able to cast his spell over Maud for one final adventure that ended in the Potomac River. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can view photos of Sydney and learn more about his extensive life of crime, along with sources for this episode, at southernmysteries.com. Now, Southern Mysteries is an independent podcast that's fueled by support from Patreon members, including our newest members that I'm so thankful for, Emily from Greer, South Carolina, and Sarah from Bronson, Florida. Emily and Sarah and all of our members hear Southern Mysteries shorts, bonus content each month that's exclusive to Patreon members. Like the story of Sunbury, Georgia, a town that disappeared, and Rhonda Bell Martin, one of the most notorious serial killers in Alabama history. And this month's Southern Mystery Shorts, which features Angels of Mercy, nuns from Kentucky who served as nurses during the Civil War. Just head to patreon.com slash southernmysteries to join and catch up on Southern Mystery Shorts today. And don't forget to rate and review the show where you're listening now. Doing that helps with the algorithms that drive the discovery of new podcasts so more people can hear Southern Mysteries. Take care and thanks for listening.